Welcome to Living Well with Rentwell, the podcast for anybody who's thinking about getting into real estate, in real estate, and wants to take their game to the next level. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. And I am your co-host, Rob Coldwell. Welcome to another episode of Living Well with Rentwell. Today, our guest is Tracy Goodwin. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. So uh, today, uh, Tracy's with us to talk about the psychology of the voice, which I just find to be truly a an amazing conversation. Um, I'll admit that. So we started working with you, Tracy, maybe what, two months ago mm-hmm. with the leadership team. And you were introduced to us by another member of the COO Alliance. And he said, I, you just got to call her. I don't really know how to explain what it is that she does. And you know, I think he might've used the phrase, it's how you say it, not what you say, but man, it goes so much deeper than that. And I, I'd love to share uh, your 30 years of experience in this space and you know, maybe even what we're learning at well, as well here at Rentwell, um, having had a few sessions with you. But why don't we just start off, Tracy, with tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am the, the voice coach that is told consistently, don't call yourself a voice coach because that's not what you do. But I have had the incredible opportunity to spend a lifetime studying and researching and understanding the psychology of the voice, why we use our voice the way we do, how our voice is being processed in the subconscious of the listener. It's really, it is voice work, but it's voice work on a level that people are not thinking about. And so I get the opportunity to do this every day. I work with all different types of companies, people, people all over the world. And it's, it's just fascinating to me to this day, the power of the voice. And that's, that's the, about the work I do. I'm a mom and I have a wild field spaniel too. So <laughs> they keep me busy as well. Oh, that's great. You know, I, you talked about the power of the voice somewhere I had read how, um, not to go down the spiritual journey here, but you know, in the Bible, it says basically God created everything with the word, you know, he said on the first day on the second day. And as you read about some of the stuff, it is just like the power of the voice, the vibrational frequency that it sends out and how that can affect things for the positive or for the negative. And, uh, and you talk about the psychology of the voice, What is that? Can you help explain that a little bit? Yes. When we think about voice coaching, people automatically think about things like, oh, I was in choir in high school or, oh, yes, I Hmm. need to slow down or maybe I should pause. And all of that is true. But my body of work started when I really understood that I could hear sounds in a certain way. And I was actually a dialect specialist in the early years of my career, and I became obsessed with dialects. Why did the Irish sound Irish? And I sound Texan. I want to sound Irish. And so I became a researcher of voice very early on. And in that fascination and research around dialects, I discovered that the subconscious actually puts the voice in. We can talk about 
vocal cords and diaphragm breathing. We can do that all day long. But the truth of the matter is every human has sounds in their voice that come from what I call voice stories that started before they were five. Literally, my research shows me one phrase like, why are you so loud? Can affect how you use your voice the rest of your life. So the psychology of the voice is what is happening subconsciously, what is happening in your mind that created the voice that you work with that is not being maximized. Our voice is our greatest, most underutilized asset. And so we can look at this from a technical perspective, but until we look at it from the subconscious psychological perspective, we can't shift how you're using your voice. So what does that mean that the dialect comes from the subconscious? Can, so, can yes, you help I, me understand that a little bit? Yes. So I'm trying to figure out why do they sound Irish? You know, I, I, it hit me one day. I'm thinking, why don't we all have the same dialect? Why is that? And I taught dialects a certain way. I did not teach dialects through hearing. A lot of times, well, most dialect teachers teach through hearing. What does it sound like? Repeat the sound, repeat the sound, repeat the sound. My work was about shift the placement. And what that means is the point of resonance where I'm shooting my sound to. So I'm from Texas. You can probably hear that in my voice. My point of placement is further back. But an Irish point of placement is an inch out of the mouth. So I can shoot my words out and I can become Irish just like that. I shifted the placement of how I'm holding my face. And I thought, okay, how does that happen? And what I realized in the deep dive on that was sense of belonging. The Irish baby, yes, hears the sound of the Irish parent, but the subconscious tells the placement, basically tells the face how to hold itself to create that dialect because the Irish baby needs to fit into the Irish family. Now, as a Texas baby, if I started rattling off in an Irish dialect, that would be weird. And my that could affect my sense of belonging. So the subconscious number one goal is to protect our heart. Our voice is the orchestra of our heart. So the subconscious is already working to create belonging by how we use our voice before we even use our voice. That's fascinating. Isn't it? I, I got a lot of questions around that. <laughs> I guess, you know, media, I'm like, well, how many different dialects can you do? How many, do you, do you work with actors and like theaters and do you pull from that at all to help people in that industry? Not anymore. Well, I take that back. I do occasionally work with television celebrities in the early years of my career, I worked with actors quite a bit more. I taught for Mike Nichols School in New York City, and I worked with predominantly actors. I taught actors dialects. And what became interesting was business people started reaching out to me to take their dialects away. 
And I thought that, that, well, that's what we used to do for one thing, you know, 30 years ago, you took dialects away. You don't do that anymore. And that's really what led to a lot of the work I've done in psychology of the voice, because it was a, actually a fortune 500 group of executives, fortune 100 top five company in the world at the time. They brought me in to coach their C-suite because they had Southern dialects and they had a perception that they were not going Mm. to sound smart. And I thought, good grief, you have to be smart to run one of the most successful companies in the world. How in the world could they think that? And that was the beginning of how we process sound subconsciously is the game changer. That's why people call me the secret weapon because I literally can come in and go, okay, do you want me to feel indifferent? Because that's how you're being processed. And all of that started from dialects to executives. And so I guess maybe 10 years into my career, I predominantly worked with people in the professional space. Now it's a combination of professionals and entrepreneurs. And then I'll get an occasional state Supreme Court justice or celebrity and I work with them as well. But I don't teach people to perform. I don't teach them to be on. I teach them how to find their real voice, which is really about an uncovering of the protection mechanism that the psychology of the voice put in place. That's wild. So Tracy, I find that to be just incredibly fascinating how the subconscious, I mean, if if anybody who's listening to this has done any research about the subconscious mind, it's truly amazing just how powerful it is. And what, what I'd be curious to hear is, you know, so that can affect your dialect. How does this now translate into leadership, you know, or entrepreneurship or, or really just any way, any facet of life, relationships? How can you take some of this and apply it to your professional world or your personal world, maybe not necessarily from a dialect perspective, you know, but from a leadership point of view. Definitely. And I, I don't really even do dialect work anymore. I haven't done it in many, many, many years because the core of my focus is on how do you become a better leader? How do you get more out of your team? How do you make more money? And when we talk about the subconscious, one of the things the first thing that came into my head was something I call foreshadowing. And this is really important for leaders. Mm. I'll, I'll have a leader and they'll come to me and they'll say, I can't get Bob to do anything I tell him. And I'll say, well, tell me how you're telling Bob what you need him to do. And, and the leader will give me the example and I'll say, you don't believe he can do it. And he said, he sure can't, he can't do it. Well, you're telling him that. In the sound, it's microscopic, but his subconscious is picking it up and he's subconsciously thinking, well, he doesn't think I can do it anyway, so why should I bother? So then I go to that leader and I say, well, can we do a couple of things like work from what you want instead of what you don't? Your proof is Bob can't do it but you're carrying that in with you in your mind and in your voice. And I need you to carry the possibility that Bob can do it. I call it act as if the outcome's yours. And so when I can plant that in the brain, 
then I can stand the chance of instead of Bob hearing, you don't believe he can do it, that you hear that Bob hears something different. So I can say, well, what I need you to do is X, Y, Z. And I've already decided you can't do it because you can hear it in my voice. And I can say, hey, Bob, you know, it'd be great. Maybe if you would do the X, Y, Z, I think that'd be fantastic. What I've done, and I could have said the exact same words. It's not about the words. It's about what Bob subconsciously hears. What do I want from him? I have to work from what I want from him, the experience I want him to have. What do I want Bob to feel like? Well, if I want Bob to feel like he can't do anything right, then I can make that choice. But that's not really how I'm going to get the best out of Bob. So I'm going to act as if the outcome is mine and I'm going to work from what I want instead of what I don't want. Does that make sense? Hmm. Oh, it makes absolute sense. So Tracy, I'll, I'll admit when we, when we first started working together, the, the mind doing the chatter that it was doing was, well, gosh, now, now you have to be super sensitive when you talk to people. You can't tell them what you're feeling. You can't tell them what you're, or maybe not feeling, but what you're thinking. And it's almost like the opposite is true. It's what, what you're not saying is, you know, don't speak your mind. Don't share what you're feeling. It's, it's still very much, it's probably empowering the individual more to speak how they're feeling or, um, you know, maybe what's really going on. It's just, don't bring that emotion with it. Kind of separate yourself from that emotion, come more from a neutral standpoint. And, uh, you know, from my own personal experience working with you, I found that it's almost easier by having some of these tools of showing up from a neutral perspective and, you know, putting some energy into, well, how do I want them to feel coming out of this conversation? What do I want them to know coming out of the conversation? It has so, so much more of an impact from that, from the conversation. Um, I'm hope, I, I hope I'm making sense uh, to what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what is happening in my mind as I'm listening to you talk about this. And I think it's a very, very important thing. It's a bit of a rubber band ball that we have to untangle, but we get mixed up and messed up with direct. And a lot of times people think they're being direct, or maybe they aren't direct because they've been told time and time again, your biggest problem, Judy, is you're too direct. And the truth is, direct mm. is actually good. And most people, even the ones that think they're being direct, they're not. And so they're not coming in and saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you about your performance, John. They're not saying that. They're wanting raw negative emotion in their tone to do the work. And so we think we're being direct, but really what we're doing is we're dumping raw negative tone on people and they're not getting the message because we're not directly stating the message, but they are subconsciously shutting down because of what they hear in our voice. And so we're not necessarily intending yes. to be indifferent or 
irritated. That happens a lot. I'll say, well, do you want, do you want him to think you're irritated? No. Okay. Then we've got to get you on the words and off the tone. And people are often surprised at this. They'll say, you mean I can just go in and say, uh, say, why didn't you get the thing done and ask the question? 100%. That's what I need you to do. I need you to shoot real straight, but I need you to do it from a place of tonal neutrality. We, and again, it, it's very much like the foreshadowing. If I have proof that you're going to mess it up, I'm going to bring that in. And that makes it really hard for me to say, Hey, Judy, tell me what's going on. I noticed that the so-and-so didn't get done. I'm going to come in defensive, already ready for your response because I've heard it before. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to think I'm being all direct and I'm going to go, the thing isn't done. And there I am, defensive, accusatory. And then I wonder why Judy isn't taking the action I want her to take. It's because I have, uh, it is because of how I made her feel. Does that, I know that's Mm. a lot of stories and a lot of untangling, but does that, is that the answer that is helpful yeah. Yeah, it does. I think the word I was looking for was direct. And yeah. to your point, it's we're we're not saying stop being direct. It's just the opposite. It's empowering the individual to be direct and to do it in such a way that doesn't bring the emotion with it and probably come at it more from a place of genuine curiosity to understand what's going on, help me learn, you know, all this stuff. And I, it reminds me of a quote that I had read at one point and it said, replace assume with ask and don't go into the conversation already assuming that you know what the outcome is going to be or assuming that you know how they're going to react. Because the reality is we have no idea really how that person's going to show up, what kind of day they're having you know, maybe what other conversation they just got out of before jumping into this one. And there's so much power. And, and, and I wish we could share more examples. You know, all I can share is my own experience working with you and our leadership team, but it is truly unbelievable when, when you feel comfortable engaging in a direct, to use that word, conversation and coming at it truly from a place of seeking understanding and not willing your own way through the conversation. It's unbelievable how productive the conversation ends up becoming. Um, Now, maybe the other person doesn't want to engage in that particular time of the conversation. So I'd be curious to hear maybe what your thoughts are that when you do approach somebody direct, you know, some people need time to think, some people need you know, they're not as good right away. So I'd just be curious if you have any thoughts on that at all. Well, I think we, that's a really good question. And I think we, we need to look at, this is where words play into it. And I think this really goes to direct as well. If I know you're not, maybe you need a little processing time. What I want to do is something I call, tell me what you're thinking. And if I know that you're going to, I'm about to dump something on you that might not be good news, could be conflict, a number of things. 
I want to go ahead and say to you, now, listen, TJ, I know you might want to think about this, but I want to share something with you, and I'd like to get your thoughts. Basically, what I've done when I tell you what I'm thinking is I've created an invitation for you to be you. I've not put you on edge. I've not, I have validated you. I have said, I know you might be thrown by what I'm about to say. In that combination of I, you, I have just validated that I hear you, I see you, and you matter. And really, in any company, this is all about sense of belonging. It goes back to that Irish baby. People want to matter. They want to look good. They want to be, they want to be important. And I say that not from a, like an arrogant, narcissistic way, but they want to be making a difference. They want to be a part of something. And so if we can reframe a little bit that they're not trying to mess us up, but that they're really trying to be a part of what we're creating, they just maybe don't know how, then we can talk to them in a different way. Then I can tell you what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I've had tons of leaders that have been very concerned about conversations. And of course, it's all subjective and circumstantial, but I have said to them, this is how you're going to start this conversation. You're going to say, you know, Scott, I have to tell you, I'm just not sure how you're going to react when I tell you this. And I've been a little nervous about it. Okay, that totally takes the listener out of their own noise of, I'm going to get fired. They don't like me. I'm not doing a good job. I've disappointed them. I've upset them. I'm in trouble. And that's what you want to happen. I'm talking about so much of this from the perspective of the subconscious of the speaker, but the number one goal is really to keep the listener from shutting down subconsciously. And the minute you feel like I've attacked you, you're out. You're not going to listen to anything I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. I I like how you worded that, that people, I wrote this down, right? People want to look good. People want to matter. And it's reframing the conversation to make them feel like they matter. And I, I think that keeps the, what I, again, I'm just, I won't go into specifics, but I'm thinking about a conversation that I had two weeks ago. In fact, I even spoke to you before getting into that conversation and, um, and it ended up going really well because it wasn't an attack. It wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't bringing emotion into it and I wanted them to know that they had the space to share what was going on in their world and, you know, in their head and, and asking that question, what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. I really like that question. What are you yeah. thinking? Yeah. You brought that up on our, which I loved on our one coaching session. We had a team member who shared that, you know, they may not at the end of a meeting or a conversation, or maybe even during it, they may not have any input. And it may be because everybody else has kind of spoken their mind or their thoughts. And, you know, they may have had the same thoughts. So their questions were answered. And so they wouldn't speak up during the conversation. And then, but you came at it and said, well, then if you're the person running that meeting, 
just ask the question, what are you thinking? And that gives them the opportunity to say, well, you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I, you know, I don't have anything else to add, or maybe I need more time to think about it. But it's almost like you're giving them permission to share. At, and maybe giving permission isn't the right use of words, but you're giving them the opportunity to speak up, or maybe they felt like there wasn't an opportunity for them to contribute, or maybe they felt like what they had to say didn't really matter. Um, but it works. Well, and I think people, whether they realize it or not, they're, we, we don't want to look bad. We don't want to look bad. We, the hardest thing we do is use our voice because it is the utmost place of judgment and it creates so much apprehension. And there's not a human on earth that hasn't been to make, to be made look foolish around something they said. And so we've got Mm. to take the stakes off of it. It can't be this high stakes thing. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to look bad. No, just tell me what you're thinking. What you're thinking is, hey, love this meeting. This was great. I don't have anything to add. Wonderful. Then that's not leaving me to make decisions like, Oh, well, I guess you don't like the direction we're going, do you, Judy? Well, Judy didn't say that, but that's the way our subconscious works. So, Tracy, do you, as we're sort of approaching our time here, do you have any tips for improving your voice? Any Anything that we could share with the listeners that they may be able to walk away with pretty quickly and get into practice uh, with some of these concepts? Well, I'm definitely not going to start telling you technical voice technique, typical voice technical things like slow down. That's not what I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to tell you is first and foremost, your voice will not work unless you are present. You cannot be in the past thinking about Mm. that time I said, or you cannot be in the future thinking Oh, I already know. I think they're going to... No, you have to be present in the conversation if you want your voice to work. The second thing I would say is stop deciding what we are thinking. This is one of the biggest problems when it comes to really making an impact with your voice. Everybody gets locked up in, I already know what he's going to say. I already know what she... I already know... Or, or that, or they'll read the room. I read the room. I look at the, I see your face and I decide now I can't see your face right now, but if I could, I could look at your face and, and I might think I see something on your face. And, and then I go, Oh, I don't think I'm doing a good job. I think I'm messing this up. I don't, I don't think. And then everything is shot for me vocally. And so we really have to stay out of the outcome, be present work from what we want, not what we don't. Don't come in with, I already know how it's going to go and it isn't going to be good. Mm. And, and really stop deciding what people are thinking. Be engaged in the conversation and find out what they're thinking. So those are a couple of things. Yeah, I, I love that. Be engaged in the conversation. And just see what they're thinking. 
Stop mm-hmm. assuming that you know what they're thinking. It's, I'm curious, and this could be a whole nother podcast topic, but why as humans do we, I'm going to generalize here, but why do we always assume we know what the other person's thinking or feeling or instead of just asking? And I think that's where a lot of breakdown in communication truly happens is, well, we all know what the meaning of assume is, right? And, but it's like, why do we go there? Why is that our first response? Why is it not come at it from curiosity and like actually engage in conversation to find out what they're feeling, what they're thinking? And, and why is it human nature to just want to defend ourselves all the time and maybe not look stupid or say the wrong thing? Or it's just fascinating to me. And you know, cause I struggle with that. I struggle with, do I sound smart enough? Um, am I saying the right thing? Am I in, you know, 40 years on this planet and now you're learning how not to do what you've learned the last 40 years. <laughs> uh, it, but I don't really know where I'm going with that. I just find it fascinating that it seems like as humans, that's our default instead well, of the opposite. And there's a number of reasons for that. Part of it is it's what we observe. Part of it is protection. I don't ask because I don't want to be rejected. I don't ask because I don't want to know because I've already decided that it's going to be bad. Why have I decided that it's going to be bad? Because we avoid disappointment as humans above all things. And so we will literally alter how we use our voice and the words that we say, we would argue with a stop sign and take the wrong way home to avoid feeling disappointment or disappointing another human. So there's a lot of psychological factors that play into why we make those choices, but everybody does it. Everybody shows up here trying to get it right. And my, and my first question Mm. to people who are bogged down in getting it right which is just about everybody is how do I know if you got it right? It's a good question. Okay. Well, Tracy, thank you for, those are really some great tips to get started. Um, I have just a a few rapid fire questions here at the end. And that would be what book has, what book has had the most impact on your life? It's a book called Worthy Human by Tracy Litt. It's all about radical self-ownership and it is phenomenal. Excellent. And what are you doing today to still continually grow your skills? I'm writing a book about my research (laughs) and it's the hardest thing I think I've ever done is write a book. Oh my gosh. It's, you know... there's, there's some truth to zone of genius versus everything else. And I feel like I'm, I will never stop researching. I am always researching voice. So I'm always doing that. But I have been asked so many times about this body of work and I'm finally putting it on paper and, oh my gosh, that I'm really having to lean in to okay, that doesn't make sense to us, Tracy. It's in your head. You've done it for 30 plus years. You have to make it make sense to us. <laughs> so that's, that is my, that is the place of where I'm really honing in right now. 
Wow. More power to you. That's um, the idea of writing a book is incredibly overwhelming, uh, at least for me. And it, cause it's like, where do you start? How do you get it organized? How all these questions. So that is, um, that's pretty amazing. You'll, you'll have to let us know. We'll have to do another, another episode when, after you've launched the book. Oh, I'd love that. And if you were beautiful. Um, and if you were to go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself that you know to be true today? It's not about me. It's really not about me. It is about serving my purpose well. And in order to serve my purpose well, I cannot be assessing and judging and focused on how am I doing? Am I getting it right? Do you like me? No. If I'm really going to serve my purpose well, I need to focus on serving you. Hmm. It's a good reminder. Easier said than done some days. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, Tracy, I, <laughs> I, I actually have another question and because what's going through my mind is these are all great when you have, you know, face-to-face -face conversations or maybe even over the phone, but in today's world where there's a lot of email and there's a lot of text, how could you apply some of this and does it even apply to written communication? Absolutely. You know, I'll have a leader that will say, I need to show you email five. They're still not doing what I need them to do. And I will say, I don't want to see email five. I want to see email one. What wasn't clear from day one? And it all applies. Being direct, tell them what you're thinking. But I need to add something else in writing. And this is coming off the heels of me telling you how hard the book is to write. We don't know what you know. We do not know what you know. And oftentimes when we write, and I've certainly experienced that, not just in the book, but even managing my own team, it makes perfect sense to me. They don't know what you know. They are not in your head. And so we have to break things down in a way, again, make it about them. What details do they need? What do we need to explain to them? Because they don't know what we know. They're not in our head. And as great as it would be to have a team to manage that was in my head, that's never going to happen. So I have to tell them what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I think sometimes just knowing when is the right medium for what, which message you know, I've We've had some team members who are no longer with us and that sounded terrible. They're just not working with us anymore. And uh, they would prefer just to use text or email, you know, and at times it's just pick up the phone. You can get so much further by having that difficult conversation, not even difficult conversation, but just having a conversation versus text or email where things can get misrepresented, misinterpreted, the tonality, the, the whole point of this, you know, episode today, the tonality can get missed. And, um, I, I just find that that's missing in a lot of businesses today. 
you know, or now they have the live chat feature. And so that would be for a whole nother episode. But yeah, I was just curious to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, there was a study done uh, quite a while back that said the fastest way to destroy a relationship was do nothing but text. And it's because Ooh. so much is, there's so much shortcut, so much left out. There's so much gray for my subconscious to go, oh, you're going to take that attitude with me? Okay. All right, fine. So mm. yeah, there's definitely a whole nother episode there for sure. Hmm. Well, so I have to admit the working with you, I got a text message, uh, from another team, actually my business partner, you know, last week and Rob sent me a text on something. And the way that I read it was kind of like it was towards me. And so I just picked up the phone and I, I think I had, I believe I had a very neutral just conversation and question. And he's like, no, dude, that's has nothing to do with you. It's not about you at all. <laughs> it's about this other thing over here. But, you know, I just pulled from all of our coaching that we've done with you and approach it from neutrality and not attack mode or get defensive. It's just seek understanding. Like, hey, I'm not, I didn't really know how to interpret that text message. Can you help me out? And it oh, worked. Yeah, that's great. So I, that resonated with me. You said the best way to destroy a relationship is text. Mm-hmm. Well, Tracy, I, I am so grateful for your time here. Uh, we could talk for hours more. There's just, there's so much here. Um, but for our listeners who wanted to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, on LinkedIn, I'm Tracy Goodwin, but everything else, um, Captivate the Room. So my website is captivattheroom.com. Email is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y at CaptivateTheRoom.com. Social media is Captivate The Room. So feel free to reach out on any of those channels. I have a podcast called Captivate The Room as well. Oh, okay. We'll check that out. And good luck with your book. We'll have to have you. I would love to have you back on when the book is completed and we could go through it and just have a conversation about it. I think that's that's an incredible journey that you're on there. Well, definitely. And hopefully it won't be like five years. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how long ago did you start it? I started about maybe three months ago. And my goal is to have it finished okay. by summer. Excellent. Oh man, that's exciting. All right, Tracy. Well, I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch up soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you for listening to Living Well with Rentwell. We hope you loved that episode. Please be sure to head over to our website at rentwell.com backslash vision. We're giving away our free program called Vision Through Purposeful Action. If you're a busy person, if you struggle with finding the time and priorities, or if you're experiencing procrastination and overwhelm, this free course will help you with that. We wish you a blessed day. Thank you for tuning in and check in later.